Okay. Hi, Eric. Hi. How are you? I'm, I'm awesome. Um, I'm glad to hear that, Aaron. We're going to talk about um, science today. Yeah, science. I've heard of it. Okay. What are we talking about? What's going on? Well, in short, it appears that things are as once they were not. Yeah, that's true. Progress has been made. Allegedly. Yeah. Um, I haven't lived long enough. Bio to this biological concept. progress. Actually, that's not true. I have lived long enough. Like, because we can measure evolution as it's happening, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, look at urban life, right? We've seen changes in pigeons. We've seen changes in a number of animals that have to live with us. That's right. So As we've been alive. We're going to cover um, several different ways of looking at evolution, um, both within the church and without the church. Okay. And um, the reason I wanted to talk about evolution is because it's such a great um, metric, right? as to where you kind of stand okay. with relationship to science in the church, I think. So um, if you believe in evolution, right, and you're an active participating member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, yes. for one thing, I'm proud to call you my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but also I think it shows, um, well, that you've been maybe paying attention, is that the right word, or maybe listening critically to the things around you. I just think that... Or you're just at, young. And maybe you're young. I just think that it's nearly impossible at this point in the history of the world to not agree that evolution is a real thing and that it is uh, part of the world around us. Hey, Aaron. Right? Yeah. Have you heard about climate change? <laughs> yeah. Um, <we're, laughs> I think maybe we could consider... We brought climate change up during our episode on uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, on, on the millennium, right? We did, that's true. Yeah, but um, let's... But but yeah, I was, a, it was a joke. Okay. It was a joke. I was not suggesting we talk about climate change. <laughs> I was just talking about scientific consensus is maybe not. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> it's interesting. I have gotten flack on this on subject the, or about the subject or of... climate change? Well, the subject of science in general. Science. But science. certainly climate change, if not, yeah. if not evolution itself. And... For so, and it just seems, it just seems so strange to me to think that there are, that there are, you know, Mormons out there who just, who completely just reject it, right? Well, related news. Did you hear that it, the Ohio House has passed a bill saying you can't mark students wrong if they get a question wrong on a science test if they claim it's their religious prerogative to be wrong? Yeah, I did see this. It doesn't make sense to me. Can Help me understand. Here. No, I can't help you understand. It's wrong. Okay. <laughs> but um, but my point is that it's not... I actually... I, I mean, the stats suggest at least younger Mormons this is less of an issue than maybe it was a couple generations ago. Yeah. Um, however, I do think that we as Latter-day Saints and our intention to accept all knowledge as being part of our faith, Mormonism as Brigham Young put it, contains all truths. And so I think we're a little less intimidated by science than maybe some evangelical groups, for instance. Well, I do want to cover that. Let's start with something, let's start with some fundamentals, okay? Fundamentals. So I'm going to start with something fun. basic, all right? Okay. I believe in evolution. Sure. Okay? Now, I'm now going to say that that statement itself is fairly crackpot, okay? okay. <laughs> because it has the worst, it has the word belief in it. Yeah. Okay. At this point, the evidence behind the evolution of species yes. is so strong that to even apply the word belief to it <laughs> goes in the face of what 
Paul taught us about how faith works. Okay, fair right? enough. What, what did Paul teach us about how faith works? Well, you can only have faith in something you don't know to be true. That's right. Where And then as soon as you know something to be it to be it's faith, something else. it's something else. Right, exactly. It becomes knowledge, right? At this point, we can not only can do we know that evolution has happened is happening but we it's can observable. measure the rate at which it at which at which is happening and make predictions yes right so it's a te- it, it has this unfortunate branding of the theory of evolution that's because <laughs> science uses words differently than it does. some other people use them that's right so i think that you would find lots of mormons that would agree with me and I think that where people start to disagree all comes down on the particulars, which I think is what is interesting to talk about. Okay. Let's, so, okay, so let's talk about evolution first. I'm listening. What's evolution? Uh, well, I'm not a scientist, yeah. so this may not be textbook, but evolution is the idea that um, as generations pass, slight variations in creatures um, allows those creatures with the best opportunity to succeed in the circumstances that exist to pass on their own genes and thus slowly shape the species in a direction that is more successful. That's, that's it's not that. necessarily leading to greater complexity, it's not necessarily any anything else, it's just more can of you, more yeah. of you. There's more of you. You are successful at, at living and and creating new of you. Yeah. This part I don't think is the controversial part. Oh. Okay. Okay. This part. Uh, this is why I say the f- when I talk about the word belief and fact and things like this. Yeah. We can go ahead and we can use specific examples of evolution that have happened even in modern times. Yeah. And then from there, we can just say, oh, obviously there's evolution. So the classic example of evolution is the moth, right? Yeah, that's one you definitely learned about your freshman year of high school. Tell me about the moth. So uh, this is 1800s in London town. Um, I don't know the exact year, but we're talking 1800s, not long after the Darwin pepper uh, publishes. That's right. This is the peppered moth. So this is a moth that, as natural variation, has lighter colored and darker colored members of the species. Mm Uh, Most of the moths were lighter colors, but then, lo and behold, in London, where there's a lot of soot making everything black, a lot more of them are dark colored, because they can hide more easily in the soot-colored buildings on on the walls that have been coated in dirt and grime. However, now that London's a much cleaner place, they're back to being mostly light colored moths. That's right. So they became one thing, then they became another thing, right? Um, What's interesting about this is that it was the coloring of the moth that changed. Right. Um, well, and yes, but I, in some ways, this is not maybe the greatest example because both those variations existed before and during and after this change we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So you could argue it's not evolution. Because well, here's, well, here's what it says on the wikis. Okay. I it's, mean, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to yeah, start yeah, yeah. a fight, but I think it's okay to fight. Let's fight. Yeah. The dark colored <laughs> or melanic form of the melanic, but so scientific from melanin is the pe- of the peppered moth was not known before 1811. Right. It was not known. Yeah. That's what it says. Oh, here. really? Okay. Yeah. Then what I just said was wrong. I didn't yeah. know that. I thought, I thought it was a known variation before that. No. 1911. It was that late. 1811. Sorry. Oh, 1811. 1811. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's been used, as you say, as an example of evolution um, 
It's easy to understand. Because it's easy to understand, right? Um, whether or not it's the best example of evolution um, is interesting, but it is definitely an, an example. It's not my favorite example. What is your favorite example? Even though I might have said it was. <laughs> you can edit that out. Um, antibodies okay. are actually my favorite example of evolution because it's occurring in every one of your... Um, your immune system cells. Okay, all the time. but okay, yeah, yeah. I, I get that the principle is at work here. However, you're not talking about a species, right? Well, fair enough. So I don't think the Ohio House finds your example very compelling. This is what we should try to be clear about. There's randomness and change within animals. Yeah. Okay, and this is what I mean by antibodies, right? So the idea is that. Your antibodies, your genes are always being cut up and reorganized and yeah. randomized so that they can react and f respond mm -hmm. to whatever they find. And so they're always being subtly shift, shuffled around. Chaos for chaos. Chaos for chaos, right? And so eventually the antibody will bind to its target. It's just amazing how powerful it is. It mm -hmm. is evolution in the terms of its no, random change. Yeah, I, I see that the principle is the same. I'm just saying somebody who's trying to say, well, I've never seen... Someone born from a monkey, like that's the they're other, not going to be convinced by this. That's but that the person's not looking it. to be convinced. It's called speciation. All right. Yeah. So it's the formation. Here's the definition: the formation of new and distinct, distinct species in the course of evolution. Yeah. Right. So it's the idea that one species can turn into another, mm -hmm. right, over the course of a long time. Yeah. And it was this 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 is the controversial topic. And at its heart, is it challenges um, uh, creationism in some ways because specifically about the origin of man. Yeah, um, and that's I, I'm sure that's fair to say. I don't I don't have a problem with that statement, but it is. Worth, I do a bit. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't believe it challenges. No, I don't believe it challenges it either. But but like I get I get that argument. I don't I don't like somebody wants to say that and that's how they read Genesis. I I can sympathize with that. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say is that this literalism that has overcome a lot of Christianity in the last few hundred years, yeah. um, while of course literalism always existed, the scriptures were always metaphorical and, and interpreted, and a lot of the literalism we see today is a reaction to uh, the theory of evolution and theories like um, the movement of tectonic plates, like modern geology. A, a lot of the literalism came from people having their worldview shaken a little bit by science. Yeah, I think... Literalism I, was less popular before. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, this to whole topic seems so, so in some ways, basic, okay? But I think is that, it's... Is that basic in the 2019 teenager sense? Or? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't actually know. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I mean by that is that uh, this... I, in my opinion, this is not controversial, right? That um, species evolved from other species, right? Mm -hmm. In my opinion, it's not controversial. It's pretty settled. Right? I mean, you have a PhD in a biological field. I do. Um, yeah. And so, but I know that in the, that there's a real segment of the population of LDS folks in that where it's just not settled. I'm deliberately avoiding the topic of evolution of man from monkeys okay <laughs> i'm deliberately avoiding it because i think that's the most interesting part of the whole conversation and i want to save it for later okay i want to talk just about um 
speciation first, all right, to help understand how evolution, how how evolution really can, okay. really can work, all right. So, how does where what is the where is the magic in evolution? Where what is the magic of it? How how do, why why is it possible? I can't believe you introduced the word magic when uh -huh. you're trying to. Uh... <laughs> uh, what do you mean by that? Okay. Like, like, why is changing from one species to another possible? Yeah. Because millions of years, Aaron. So, Carl Sagan. Okay. Oh, Carl Sagan, yeah. Okay, Cosmos. The Secrets oh, of I Evolution. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I good. thought you were going to say the demon in the freezer <laughs> or whatever that book is. No. Carl Sagan, Cosmos. Okay. The secrets of evolution are death and time. The deaths, sure. the deaths of an enormous numbers of life. No okay. the, de a lot of death. <laughs> the deaths of enormous numbers of life forms that were imperfectly adapted to the environment, to their environment. Yeah. And time for a long succession of small mutations. So, I have, do not have a PhD in uh -huh. the biological field. Yeah. I am a literature person. Uh -huh. um, and literature, as I often tell my students, is all about sex and death, uh -huh. beginnings and endings, creation and destruction. That's what literature is about. So I'm going to take a slight issue with Carl Sagan's phrasing, mm -hmm. because I don't think you can say it's about death without saying it's about sex. Yeah. Like, because, yeah, certain people die, but that only matters because then they don't have sex. That's and right. And sex is where the new people come from. That's the randomization of it. Right. Well, I don't, I, what do you mean by randomization? That's like, what sex die, does. Oh, yeah, right. Sex, sex allows us yeah. to shuffle the deck once again. You, once, you've had, once you've reproduced and had progeny, yeah. it literally doesn't matter what happens to you after that. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> Look at some of the species of spiders that just, just eat each other. That's right? true, yeah. <laughs> yeah and you've once, done your job. Once you've passed on that, pro, the, that genetic material, right? Mm -hmm. But the point of this particular quote is... Yes, I agree that you should talk about the whole mixing of genes that's part of this, is time. Okay? Yeah, I'd, yeah, time's important. And the age of the Earth, you know... Pretty not, old. Not 6,000 years. No. But is, <laughs> is re it's really, really old, right? Yeah. And that amount of time allows you to really... It's just a mind-bogglingly large amount of time. And it's you not, can, I don't know if it's really comprehensible. Yeah. And you and everything, everything really just gets shuffled up, and you can have time to speciate. Um, so that's the idea behind it. Um, I know this might feel like a bit of an intro to biology course here, but we have to have these definitions and fundamentals on there before we can see how well the the evolution of evolution has happened in the church. <laughs> um, sure. And this topic of death, though is actually where I think our church has the biggest disagreement with the science, okay? The topic of death? The topic of death okay. itself. Okay, interesting. Okay? I'm guessing, I have a guess where you're going, but I don't, I don't want to jump on your feet because I could be totally wrong. Again, we're tabling, for now, the creation of man. Yeah. Okay? And I say, I should, the creation of men and women, I should say. <laughs> All right, we're tabling for now that. Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought you were using the Latin man, manus, meaning hand, and you were you were all about opposable thumbs. And that's that's right. where we were the headed this whole time. Of opposable I thumbs. didn't realize you were being sexist, Aaron. <laughs> it didn't even occur to me. So it's so funny. All this reading I did for evolution, right? Yeah. All the literature is real old. 
Sure. And it all uses this sexist terminology. Yeah. And darned if it doesn't stick in your head. It's just the evolution of man. And yeah. you're like, okay. It's not, that's not very inclusive. The ladies had some role, I'm sure. Um, it is old language, but yeah. Anyway, so again, we're tabling that aside. Let's talk about why this part of it would conflict with some of the teachings of the church. Right? Okay. Because that Adam fell, we are. And by his fall came death. And we are made partakers of misery and woe. Mm -hmm. All right? That is from Moses 6.48. The prophet Enoch. Good old Enoch said that, right? And this, what's, okay, listen, I'm, we're cheating a bit. The Wikipedia article on Mormons and evolution is, is, is bananas, right? It's really unfair. I don't see how you as a teacher can assign any homework to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all right there, okay? Well, I can because for some reason junior high school teachers tell kids that Wikipedia is a den of sin and iniquity and they need to stay away from it. Oh, wow. So really? I have to I have to deprogram them. Oh, cuz you're in cuz you teach seniors and freshmen. Yeah, so and like start them and... Wikipedia is good. It is a good thing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. This article is really good. Um it talks uh, it goes through the it goes through the three specific first presidency statements mm -hmm. on the on evolution, right? Yes. It talks about all statements from each of the pre each of the presidents of the church. Okay. All of them. Um, uh, well, each of them that have made statements mm -hmm. on it, I should say. Right? It talks about the manuals and all of the different things that... Um, that all the, the different stuff that's been said. All the different stuff that's been said. But this one in particular has always been the one that got me. Um, one of the ideas behind the story of... Well, the, the Let's be careful with our language here. Um, we believe that there was an Adam and Eve and there was a Garden of Eden, and there was a fall, right? I would put that in the probable camp. Okay. Okay, so this isn't where I thought we would yeah. be having disagreement. Um, I don't disagree. Mm -hmm. I, I think it is probably true. I just I just wouldn't be willing, like, if, uh, you know, if there was a wager made, uh -huh. and um, God was uh, keeping the odds secret, I would just not place a bet. <laughs> 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 well, I think it's interesting. We know, okay, a lot of what we know about Adam and Eve and the fall of Garden. Wow, I didn't think we were going to go here, but this may be might be the most interesting thing for us to talk about, uh -huh. right? You know, there's a lot of it in the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl Great Price. There's lots of some of it in the Temple Ceremony, right? But we know about this thing that happened, right? You sure. Had the creation of Adam and Eve and the mm -hmm. fall. And it's a, one of the three pillars of salvation. Yeah. Right? right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. Now I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, by the fall came death. Yeah. Right? And by, the, and by death came salvation. Maybe the fall is just a uh, scripture code for evolution. Maybe it is. Well, I'm not sure. That's the thing, is that it's very hard to make that statement. Because <laughs> that's not what the prophets have said over yeah. and over again. <laughs> So let me tell you why I'm not willing to go 100% on this. Wait, did I make the point? Um, I think so. Uh, make it again. We can't have death before the fall of Adam and Eve. Okay? That's what this sentence says. And so... That's extremely problematic. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is what it says. Okay? And if you read this literally, it mm -hmm. says, you, 
can't have death before the fall of Adam and Eve, and because of that, you can't have evolution. Right? Yeah. Boo. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's going on here? Listen, when I when we first started this endeavor that we're going through, I told you I had these three great questions. Oh, okay. Is this one of them? This is one of oh, them. Oh, fun. This is particularly, how do you reconcile this point of doctrine, that yeah. death didn't exist before Adam and Eve, and evolution? All right, that is the oh. most interesting question. In my normal way, I just tend to be dismissive of it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Look, and I'm not going to tell you that I have an answer. Okay? Yeah. I, I think that with a literal reading of these scriptures, that there's a, there's an issue. I, I believe I've said something about literalism already on this podcast. <laughs> okay, go episode. ahead. Uh-huh. So here's, here's the major problem I have, is that although I'm willing to accept that Adam and Eve are real people and that Eden was a real place... Um, I don't have a problem with that being true. I don't think the scriptures prove that or are really even pushing it that hard. Um, the story of the Garden of Eden as an active Latter-day Saint, the way you're most likely to bump into that, even if you're reading the Bible straight through over and over again, you're most likely to bump into it into the, in the temple, yeah. where it is a ritual story enacted as ritual by us as participants we are adam we are eve we fall um it seems and i'm not an expert here so i am talking about what other people say and this makes sense to me and but experts who are not me have suggested that the early story of genesis also seems like some sort of ritual story a story that would be enacted um the version in moses the version in abraham i still feel that way i mean even though the Abraham thing is, does not seem very closely connected to the uh, papyrus that it came from. Yeah, um, those are ritualistic. Well, this is Moses that I was just quoting just now. Yes, right, and I'm including Moses in this. Like, I, I believe this is a ritual, mm-hmm. and um, in the text, like Adam, as I understand it, is just the word for person. Sorry, I should be more clear. I thought that the book of maybe I'm exposing my ignorance here. I thought yeah. the book of Moses, we were like more happy about compared to the book of Abraham? Well, I'm not, I'm not picking or choosing. I'm just saying that, I, in fact, I'm not even talking about legitimacy or easiness yeah. to explain to I mean, I'm a happy about or anything. Both. I'm, I'm yeah, I, our last I love them both, episode. but my, my point is that all yeah. of these really feel like rituals, right? These are all enacting a sacred drama. Um, this is Joseph Campbell stuff. And I really, and, and the words, like I was saying, Adam just means person essentially and you could read the text as saying both the man and the woman were named adam as if they are simply people and so the purpose of the story more than being good history is to teach us something metaphorical through metaphor rather to teach us something through metaphor that allows us to understand our relationship with god and so while i i am prone to believe that adam and eve are real people um i'm not really prone to take the fall as um, as something that has to be super literal. There was a fruit, and then all of a sudden everything was different. It could be. Like, I don't have a problem with that being true, but I don't think the scriptures insist on it being true. If Adam had... I'm quoting from 2 Nephi chapter 2, 20. Yes. All right? From the Book of Mormon. Remember, we do have some members, some listeners that are not... not oh, I'm sure I've just... <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are really mad at me right now, and that's okay. That's all right. I, if... If Adam I'm had, willing to be wrong. If Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen. 
but he, but he would have remained in the Garden of Eden. And all things which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were created, in which they were after they were created, and they must have remained forever and had no end. Right? Again, this is concept of this, yeah, of this stasis that the Garden of Eden was in a was in a stasis. Right? No yeah. death, paradisiacal, like animals. Right? And because um, animals without, are without all the eating of each other. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then, um, and if they hadn't. If they hadn't, and this is a, this is a this is a particularly Mormon point yeah. of view, by the way, uh-huh. that if they that the fall of Adam and Eve is actually a really good thing, right? Yeah, um, I was going to bring it up that we wanted to make sure people understood the difference here between LDS doctrine and mainstream Christian doctrine. If I can use there, the word, mainstream. there are different versions, but generally yeah. speaking, we are a bit unusual in thinking the fall was. We're was, really happy about it. Yeah, we are happy Ooh. about it. We celebrate Eve's role in it. Yeah. So, she's a hero in our world. She's a hero. Um, we needed the fall so that we could leave the garden and, you know, learn to learn the good and evil, the difference between them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I think that's really cool. I think that is, that's fabulous. That's one of the things yeah. that I really enjoy about being in our church. In fact, when I was in college, we read Paralandra. Have you ever read Paralandra? No, I don't think so. That's a, a C.S. Lewis book. Oh, I read this, the first one. The Mars Trilogy. Is that, is that the first one? Yeah, it's the second yeah. one. Paralandra oh, is the second one. I have not read the second one. I have the and trilogy, the fir- but I only read the, the first, first one. In the first one, the space... Because I don't remember anything. The space person goes to Mars and has some encounters. In the second one, he goes to... Ooh, there's a lot of nudity. I don't remember. <laughs> I actually don't think I've read the first one. I've only actually read okay. the second one. So this one, he goes to Venus, and yeah. Venus in this story is a, you know, a non-fallen Earth. Okay. Right? And the conclusion of the book is that if... In this version of um, of the cre- of the creation story, they yeah. didn't fall, and C.S. Lewis said that because of this, you know, that um, they got more and more, their futures were brighter and farther than ours were coming from uh, the fallen world. Interesting. It's a completely different understanding of yeah. the role of Adam and Eve, right? right. Yeah, it's yeah. a viewing of Adam and Eve as people that made a mistake, as opposed to part of the essential plan, which is what we believe in. Yeah, and we don't. So when you know, we would look at Paralandra and say, "Well, no, the if they don't fall, then they're stuck there, and they'll never leave." Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, but so we have this. Well, that's why I think evolution fits in so nicely with right, obvious doctrine. Um, we start as nothing, and we work our way forward. Um, to me, the problem with evolution is not your question, like how do we reconcile the idea of death existing before Adam and Eve. I don't really have a problem with that because for reasons I explained, I, I don't think we're required to take that story super literally. But my my issue, and I don't, and this is not, it doesn't trouble me that much, I just don't know how to explain it, is at what point in speciation did we become human enough to be responsible, to be, to be capable of committing sin? And, and it doesn't seem possible that that could have been two people but i'm really attached to the idea of adam and eve as people as individuals like i because i i really care about those two people um i love them very much they're two of my very favorite historical characters quasi historical characters and i want them to be real people um we believe they have identities in you know outside of their time on earth and i really want them to be real people but the problem is in terms of from a scientific standpoint you don't just have two people suddenly be humans Right, it's something that would take time, and so it 
in a way it would be easier if we believe that Adam and Eve are standing for like the group of humans that over a hundred thousand year period achieved consciousness or something right or, or achieved enough uh, moral capacity to be human and therefore to fall um, because that that's what seems logic to me because I don't think we can reject evolution as false I, I think that's foolish and a lie and not a good way to go uh, but I, I just don't, I don't know like where's that boundary let's and be yeah, I think we have the same question here but yeah let's be specific but, now we're talking about the origin of the origin we of are which I know you don't want to go to no no now's um, the time now's the time oh good because so, I, I just, I just <laughs> <laughs> so um, we so yes um, if you look at all of the rec all of everything around us yeah right Mm-hmm. Just as you could say that everything around you testifies that there is a God. <laughs> yes. You could look around you and every, and everything around you testifies of evolution, right? Right. Yeah. Alma's, Alma's little claim is not particularly convincing unless, <laughs> yeah. So you look around and you see, you just see these records, right? You see, you see common ancestors. Sure. Okay? Yeah. Um, there's a brilliant uh, segment in one of the episodes of QI. Quite interesting, which is a British, oh. a British trivia show where, yeah. they, where San, Sandy Toxby is, you talk to me about is talking once. about evolution, specifically yeah. about the 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 ascent of man. Okay. Picture, can you put a picture? Oh, wait, are you talking? Is that in your mind? The Michelangelo? No, it's the That's one the where of, of the monkeys getting taller oh, and taller yeah, 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 and taller yeah, right. until you have the guy with the spear. Yeah. Right. And then they start. She said, Sandy said that there was two problems with that picture. Okay. Okay. The f- and they talk about it on the show for a while. The first one is that it misses the point uh-huh. in the terms of um, they. That's not how it works. It's more like there's common ancestors as opposed to a single line right. of of ascent. It's yeah. It's like when people are drawing their ancestry backward, and it looks like a straight line back to the beginning. But yeah. if everybody had a straight line going backwards, there would be more people in the past than in the present. That's right. <laughs> the other problem with that yeah. picture is that there's no women in it. That's- <laughs> Fair point. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of variations in that image. I'm not yeah. sure I've ever seen one with women. Yeah. I've seen a, so many variations. <laughs> so, we've got this chain mm-hmm. of, of of non-human, as in homo sapien, yeah. ancestors or common ancestors that um, connect us to the past, right? Right. And that we, based on the evidence, mm-hmm. we as a, as a species, that's where we came from. Yeah. As opposed to a de facto, like, pop, there's, a, there's someone where there wasn't anyone. That's what the evidence shows, right? Yeah. So, what's really going on? Can I take a slight tangent that will meet our requirement to pitch another dialogue podcast family podcast? Yeah, do it. It's, it's, it's a pretty tangential tangent but um beyond the blocks most recent episode Mm -hmm. what god hath cleansed talks about um in acts where you know peter has the vision of eating the unclean things and it's okay because god said so don't call unclean what god has said is clean and they apply it to uh, marginalized communities um we can think of communities in the church who have not been allowed the priesthood communities who have had policies directed directly at them in recent history we have plenty of examples um there could be something similar happening here right like it maybe god by fiat is is uh, involved somehow in 
in drawing lines. Can you be more clear? Probably not. <laughs> um, but what I mean is, the problem is, as you say, this is an incredibly complex and messy story. It is a, it is a story with death smeared all over it. Um, and it's hard to see God's hand in chaos. That's okay. not the way we think about God. This is one of the critical points I wanted to make. Okay. okay? I, when I have seen in my life people not believing with scientists, right? Yeah. Like I've seen a lot of disrespect paid, for, paid towards science um, it, uh, um, throughout the Christian community, right? Mm -hmm. And even within like uh, people that I know that are LDS, just this a sense, a bit of a sense of disdain that scientists are always wrong about everything. Yeah, and it just drives me crazy. Okay, <laughs> but I think part of it might come a bit from the sense of randomness, this disbelief in randomness. Yeah, right? everybody understands that random. If you roll dice a bunch of times, that you're gonna get random numbers, right? But it, but they always think okay well actually if you just knew what how the wind was going that day oh. you'd be able to figure it out right yeah that belief in a, like there's a way to perfectly predict something yeah but this rejection there's this rejection of real randomness which if you dig down into the into the laws of quantum mechanics that's really what's going on is that there appears to be this randomness. This yeah. is what Einstein, his famous quote, right? Um, God does not play dice with the universe. I'm going to put an article in the notes that talk about, talks about this, this mm -hmm. quote because it's really misunderstood. God does not play dice with the universe wasn't a rejection of the science. It, he didn't actually believe in God. He was just trying to understand how it could be possible that you could have real randomness in a world of mathematics where everything seems yeah. to be so ordered, Poor classical physics. I, yeah, if I, I'm hoping that I'm that I'm that I'm explaining his point of view correctly. Um, so, randomness seems to go so against creationism, okay? Because in some ways, ra creationism is a rejection of, of, ran random. of randomness. Yeah, right. I'm going to make order right. out of chaos right, right? i just quoted <laughs> or out of nothing even more so there never was chaos in right. some worldviews right and yet that's actually not what we believe in our church we don't believe that god created the world out of nothing mm -hmm. we believe the god that god organized mm -hmm. the world from something and i think that is the real difference here all right that allows you to kind of embrace the randomness of the world and the reality of religion is this acceptance of the physical world that we actually live in our church believes that God is bound by laws yeah okay when you read in the scriptures and it says that if you obey the commandments that God is bound to do these these yeah. things right that's a very interesting way to put it right yeah we often, you know, people talk about God being all powerful. Well, the right? God fantasy is about you know, omniscience. Do whatever I want. Call back to first season: omniscience, yeah. omnipotence, and omnibulence. Red ball stuff, right? Red ball stuff. Um, in reality, God is bound by laws. Yeah. All right. And I would assume 
by one, of, and I would assume that if one of the fundamental, this is interesting, I had never thought of this yeah. this way before. If one of the fundamental laws of the universe is, ran, is randomness, then in some ways you could argue that God would be bound by that randomness too. Seems reasonable. Um, maybe hubristic to command God to yeah. be subject to randomness, but we can only deal with what we know. Right? Yeah, anyway, that was a bit more ob well, when I was, obscure thinky than there, maybe I'm comfortable No, with. that's okay. I think there's another really Latter-day Saint issue at play here. Um, when I was in high school, trying to understand how prophecy could work and free agency could work, I came up with this idea of God having a perfect sense of probability, which is what you were talking about. Like, if I just knew how to hold the die, and if I understood the surface of the table perfectly, I could roll it and get a six every single time. Lieutenant Commander Data. That's what he does. Yeah. Oh, does he? Yeah. Good for him. <laughs> um, but the more I think about it, the more I realize, like, this perfect idea of probability, does it just doesn't meld with the idea of free agency. Like, free agency requires that God allows for the world to have chaos in it. Um, and because humans, I think it would be fair to say, are inherently chaotic. You can, you can do a pretty good job predicting what a population will do, but on the individual level, we're as, we're as nutty as quarks. Or is not like you know, or any uh, particle. You know, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna I'm moving outside my bound of knowledge here. But but there's chaos at that fundamental level of matter, and I think the same thing is true of human society. At the fundamental level of society, at the individual human, there is chaos. I think that it's interesting because let's go back to one topic that we had discussed uh, a while back, which was entropy, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the amazing things about um, Christianity is, you know, the resurrection and essentially the reversal of, it, of, agent, of entropy. Right. In some ways, it's really the victory over randomness. Arguably, yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe um, there's really something interesting to think about with God and randomness that is uh, ability to overcome it, perhaps. I don't really know where to go with that. Let's go back to evolution. Okay. There have been three public statements from the first presidency. Okay. On evolution. Yeah. And one private It's been statement. a while since we've had one, right? Yeah. It's been, yeah. Oh, long yeah. Long time. Long, long time. Yeah. Right? I intentionally did not look at these because I, I wanted to be able to... I've, although I've read them before multiple times, I, if there was stuff I'd forgotten, I wanted to be able to react. So, the 1909 statement, 1909, mm -hmm. on the origin man of man, okay? Because it was just... Um, so, just looking here at Wikipedia again... The the the, the Latter-day Saints were in the Western Plains when yeah. Origin of Species was published by Charles Darwin, so it took a while for it to percolate over, yeah. right? Um, there was a few there was a few small responses to it, but it looked feel, kind of feels like nobody really paid attention at first. <laughs> it was in the early 1909s we began to respond. <laughs> so there was a committee appointed by Joseph F. Smith. Um, to look into it and prepare official statement, basing its belief on divine revelation, ancient and modern, proclaiming man to be the direct and lineal offspring of deity. All right? Yeah. Um, the statement declares human evolution as one of the theories of men, but falls short of explicitly declaring it untrue or evil. It states that man began life as a human being in the likeness of our Heavenly Father, it states that although man begins life as a germ or embryo, it does not mean that Adam began life as anything less than a man, 
mm-hmm. or less than the human germ or embryo that becomes a man. And it was assigned by the by the signatures of the first of the first presidency. Right? Yeah. So then there was a controversy <laughs> in BYU in, oh, in oh, 1911. Oh, yeah. Have you heard about this? Yeah, again, it's been a while. The Brigham Young Modernism Controversy. So this happened. <laughs> That's a fun, in, fun way to this call happened it. in 1911. All right. So, do you what can, can you summarize it? How, no, how much no, do you know about it's, it? It's been a very long time since I okay. read it. But basically, um, the the science and theology were at each other's throats yeah. to some extent. This was before the Scopus monkey, monkey trial, if I have my time, if I have my dates my dates right. And if you don't know what the Scopes monkey trial is, mm-hmm. go watch drunk history on Hulu, <laughs> the Scope Monkey Trial episode. <laughs> You're just encouraging them. <laughs> Perhaps. Look, I love that show. <laughs> Whether or not I should, I don't know. But I do. <laughs> um, but they, anyway, and that, that was the trial where they essentially staged and put evolution on trial, right? Yes. Okay, but and in, in 19... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, let's include in the notes um, a link to the book that I was required to read as part of my... Uh, BYU freshman level biology course um, about the Scopus Monkey Trial. Okay, good. It's a good book, and it's in a really important moment in history. Yeah, I think it might be one of the one of the turning points that you had said about this re- rejection of of, mm-hmm. of science and this evangelical thinking. Yeah. So I mean, okay. it was a big embarrassment for for creationism. So we have a bit of basketball happening above us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So all right. Well, we'll keep going. The um, the nineteen eleven there were these four professors in BYU who taught evolution, right? Yeah. And they taught some cri- some um, critical some criticism of the Bible, right? And they were well, I mean, could you just say they were fired? I guess. Uh, if they did no longer work at BYU the next year, I would say you could say they were fired. <laughs> um, the the courses that they taught were popular, right? Mm-hmm. But there was but they were. Um, they were they were given a choice, right? Alter their teachings or lose their jobs. Oh no! Yeah, people's integrity is on the line, Aaron. So, so they left. Yeah. <laughs> right, and then um, there was another thing that happened in 1915 uh, at University of Utah. Similar kind of thing. All right. Milton Bennion, writing in 1911, called the conflict the most significant event in Utah's recent educational history. Um, essentially, it was this rejection of science, right? Yeah. In, at, BY, at BYU. And like we talked about, this was... And it was this this was a chilling effect on the, science, on, the, yeah. on the teachers. And it takes it took, time. It took decades to get over. I mean, there's still... I assume this is still happening. Um, definitely it was happening while I was a student at BYU. There were still students who were shocked, uh, or must have been shocked, because at BYU, in, when you take a freshman-level biology course, they, they are very gentle with you, and they explain how... Evolution is real, and it doesn't need to damage your testimony. Look at me. I have a testimony, and I'm teaching you evolution. Like, they're so gentle with it. Uh-huh. Um, which lets me know that, at least as of 20 years ago, this was still a big deal. 
Hello, dear listener. I realized at this point in the podcast that we forgot to put in some of the statistics that I was interested in quoting. So again, this is from Wikipedia, uh, talking about how do Mormons actually feel about evolution. So in a 2014 U.S. religious landscape study, researchers found that 52% of Mormons believe that humans always existed in their present form. 42% believe that humans evolved over time. More specifically, 29% of Mormons believe that evolution is guided by a supreme being, and 11% believe that evolution occurred in natural causes. All right, one more study. 2017, there was a study, Next Mormon Study. 74% responded that they were confident or had faith that God created Adam and Eve in the last 10,000 years, and that Adam and Eve did not evolve from other forms of life. When asked whether evolution was the best explanation for how God brought about life on earth, 33% of Mormons were confident or had faith that this was not true. And if you look at the Wikipedia article, which I recommend, there's some interesting studies about education level and whether or not you are prone to believe or disbelieve in evolution. Let's look at some of the statements from the, church, from the first presidency. Okay. All right. I specifically wanted to quote, in a 1952 speech to students at Brigham Young University, McKay used the theory of evolution as an example while suggesting that science can leave a student with his soul unanchored. He stated that a professor that denies divine agency in creation imposes on the student that life was created by chance. So again, this rejection of, random, yeah. of randomness. But it's this, when I was reading this, you know, I love President McKay, right? Yeah. I mean, um, but this particular quote really, really got to me. Um, leave us, science can leave a student with a soul unanchored. It's such a false dilemma. Right. Like, no. And this... Maybe it can, but that's only because they weren't given the tools to think about these things in the first place. Right. When we were discussing this, uh, this topic beforehand, you, and maybe, and... We may, you used the phrase "okay, boomer." <laughs> I no, I didn't, but I thought it. Oh, oh, last week when we yeah, talked about it, you mean? Yeah, okay, yeah, I may yeah, have. Yeah. yeah, that's that's entirely possible. I right? would never say that for recording because, oh my gosh, <laughs> children these days, they don't. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. Like they have no idea how. Uh, never mind. They don't know what a boomer is. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> they really don't. They have no idea. But the point is that there's this generational gap. Yeah. Right. My. My, I was always told that, I was always told that there was no such thing as a generational gap. And mm -hmm. when I look at my kids, okay, yeah, um, I don't, I feel roughly the same as I did when I was a kid. Yeah, right. I, in terms, they of, don't feel the same about you though. I, I know they think I'm so old, <laughs> but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless, I really think there's this generational thing where. Kid, where kids these days don't even care about this subject, right? Yeah, it's not a big deal. To it's them. not a big deal. Yeah. Evolution happened. It's only a big deal if your parents spend a lot of time trying to convince you it's a vicious lie. Right. Then it becomes a big deal someday when they learn it isn't. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not a big deal. Um, so I, I have a book I want to talk about. This is not a book by a Latter-day Saint. Uh, it's called Ark Baby. It's by Liz Jensen. She's a British writer. I read this book almost 20 years ago. Um, and I don't remember it very well, uh, but the part I remember best is there is a, it's largely a near future book, but it also has some scenes that take place in the past, and there's this preacher in Victorian England, a really great person, true Christian in every way, really admirable, 
man of great faith. And he's presented with incontroversial, incontrovertial, incontroversial, incontroversial? Incontrovertible. Incontrovertible. <laughs> that also sounds wrong, but I'll take your word for it. I don't know. Incontrovertible. Can't be argued with evidence that evolution is real. Uh -huh. And it sets him in a tailspin. He loses his faith entirely. It's completely gone. The thing he's built his entire life on, something he feels deeply that is, that is core to his identity, he, in a matter of a couple days of mourning, completely abandons it. And that was where the book lost me. I loved that book so much. But I feel that the author had such a deep misunderstanding of what it means to be religious. The idea that one fact is enough to kill God is a real misunderstanding. And it's giving, it's giving evolution a power it doesn't have. It's already really powerful. You don't need to give it the ability to kill God. Like, that's crazy. And I just don't think that she understands religious people. She doesn't understand that um, faith can be as complicated and deal with uh, disagreeing evidences in the same way science can or any other epistemological way of looking at the world. The world is complicated, and a faith that doesn't recognize that isn't a true faith to start with. So where do we go? Um, how do I get my great question answered? Well, um, I'm going to try to take this book without messing up the microphone. Um, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. Um, like a lot of things, I don't know that I feel like it doesn't bother me, right? Um, to me, Ark Baby would have been better if the preacher could accept evolution and maintain his faith. It would have been a more honest book. Um, and I, I guess that's largely a personal bias in that I don't see that faith is reliant on any particular facts. I think, I think your question is a legitimate one. Do you think it's a cognitive dissonance? I'm using that I word guess. specifically because I dislike it. Uh-huh. Okay. I dislike the phrase cognitive, cognitive dissonance because I feel like it, it's, it's trying to gentle something that it's essentially saying, eh, there's no such thing as reality. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Because I believe that there is a reality. I have to, yeah, right? I That's what I experience. Is, that is, we have a whole episode on accepting reality. <laughs> so... How can there be the statement? I'm going to give you five answers and not explain any of them. All right, good. Get so it. this is from an essay called Crawling Out of the Primordial Soup, A Step Toward the Emergence of an LDS Theology Compatible with Organic Evolution. Ah, great. By Stephen L. Peck, um, a friend of mine, a biology, an evolutionary biologist who teaches at BYU today, not in 1911. And um, this essay is sort of exploring, like, how do you do this? And part of the essay explores five suggestions by a University of Copenhagen professor of theology named Niels Gregerson. I'm going to give his five reasons without any explanation at all. Okay. The reason I'm saying them is just to suggest that there are people who are grappling with this. And for people who need an answer, there are avenues to explore. So, option number one from Gregerson, flat religious naturalism. Mm -hmm. Number two, evolving theistic naturalism. 
Okay, these you're saying these words, but they don't make sense. I know. I am intentionally doing that because <laughs> I don't want to get into it. Like this is not about Gregerson, but my point is that. Uh, Peck is taking each of these and exploring what this would mean from an LDS theological perspective, mm -hmm. applying LDS scriptures and LDS thought to these ideas that I am throwing out here with no meaning whatsoever. Like, number three, a temporal theism. Okay. Let's shrug at each other and look at four, which is temporal theism, which I'd like to suggest is the opposite of atemporal theism. Or at least, maybe. And you'll like this one. Number five, es number five eschatological. I know this word, oh, <laughs> eschatological theism. Um, those are those are five possibilities, and that's just a small part of this essay, right? Um, and the last section is about the history of Mormon theological speculation. It quotes like B. H. Roberts. Um, it gets to ideas like what is what is the importance of design in Mormon theology, um, teleology, which is a word I can never remember. No matter how many times I look up, I will always forget it. I have. Um, a lot of notes to myself on this because it's a very thought-provoking essay. My, my point isn't to go through what Steve has written about here. My point is to suggest that complicated questions have complicated answers. Can you do one of them? Um, how about instead of one of the explanations, I muddy the water a little bit more using the essay. Okay, Would sure. that be okay? <laughs> yeah, you bet. <laughs> <laughs> so um, under the section called Mormon Evolutionary Theology, uh, it gets to four points that are speculating on ways to reconcile the intersection between Mormon theology and Darwinian evolution. And the first area in which he tries to do this is the idea of natural evil. So a lot of um, Mormon apologists have the opinion that LDS theology solves the classic problem of evil, right? It's not God's fault anymore. Evil is just, you know, it's because of the chaos in the universe. There's no ex nihilo creation, etc. Joseph Smith has solved this problem because God is subject to natural laws. The world, the, the world is created out of materials that have their own principles, and so God is no longer at fault if a bad thing happens to you. Huh, okay. So, so that that's a common argument among Mormon apologists. Um, now, the good thing, bad thing here is that that makes evolution fine, right? It's the natural law. It's how God does things. It's the only way it works. Um, it is problematic, of course, because um, evolution is very cruel. It's a cruel way. It takes four billion years to get to people, and a lot of things have to die on the way. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of dead ends. Yeah, so many dead ends. And so seems a lot of, it seems inefficient. And it's super inefficient, absolutely. Yeah. Especially because one of the principal tenets of our church, we talked about last week, is um, this asc ascension, this exaltation. Yeah. Right? where we can become uh, creators like unto our Father, right? Yeah. And, th I, you know, they teach you, when, when you hear about this, you start to speculate, right? Okay, I'm going go, I'm to go to class and I'm going to learn how to create a monkey or a yeah. fish, right? Right. <laughs> when, in reality, it, how, it, it's random? I mean, what does that even mean? How does God even drive that. Well, it also confuses the issue of the pre-existence, because at what point do God's children get to enter a body? Yeah. And is that body equivalent to our body, or do they have to enter subpar bodies and then get them up to this shape? Or To me, I think these are the reasons why you see um, evolution rejected. 
Right. And it's way easier to reject it. Because mm-hmm. these are difficult questions yeah, that we the, do not have the information to solve. The timeless Eden story, as in no time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then a world in which you get to come back to it and create literal life forms. Yeah. Is better to think about. <laughs> right. It's, it's simpler. It's simpler. I mean, and that is part of the job of scripture and part of the job of ritual is to put the world into a shape where it's simpler and we can see the important parts. Because real life is so chaotic and messy that it's easy to lose track of what actually matters. It's fascinating. Um, I love this topic. I I really believe, I really I really believe I hate the phrase, but I really believe in evolution, right? And yeah. I find the muddied waters of the evolution of man, again, man and women, from apes, and its contrast with the literal creation of Adam and Eve in the garden, to be very interesting. And even though we've had, we've done an hour on the topic. I still don't really feel like we resolved it. <laughs> I really hope with this, because I, I feel like we haven't reached a natural conclusion either, yeah. but we're going to conclude anyway. On some of our shows, I feel like we have reached a conclusion. Yeah, I really feel like this is one where I really want people's feedback. Yeah. Um, Listen, one thing that we have said categorically is that evolution happens and is happening. Yeah, it's right. It's a joke to say it doesn't. Yeah. Like, there's way too much evidence. You have to be deliberately ignorant. If you are, if you, if you, have, if you're uncomfortable with that statement, and it wouldn't surprise me if there are LDS folks out there that are uncomfortable with that statement. You know, that's something to examine. Yeah. To maybe, maybe take issue with that part of the conversation first, and then come meet us at where we think we are. Yeah. Yes, because. And ultimately, like, this, this question is not that pertinent to your personal salvation, Aaron. Yeah, that's true. You don't have to know the answer to this question. You don't it's... have to listen to Face and Hat either. No, that's true. <laughs> and, and so, and that, I think, is why I don't lose sleep over it and I don't lose testimony, testimony over it. Yeah. It's something I'm happy to revisit and to consider, but ultimately, I don't need to know the answer. In the same way... Charles Darwin was wrong about some details. For instance, he was wrong about how fast evolution can happen. Um, and that's okay. He was a scientist. He had to know he didn't have everything right. He had to know that things would get more precise and there would be more knowledge. Every time a movie comes out, that I, well, not every time. Every once in a while, a movie will come out and be like, oh, poor Gene Siskel, he's dead. And now Roger Ebert's dead too. Like I, and I used to watch their show when I was a teenager. I'd stay up late on the weekends and watch Siskel and Ebert. They'll never see that movie, right? The world is going to continue after us, and we don't have to solve all the problems today. We don't need all the answers. Um, Because evolution as a biological principle is one thing, but evolution as a theological and an intellectual and an academic principle is another. We're going to continue to grow and improve and learn more and more and more. And we just have to accept that we live in one moment of time. And it's our job to spread our intellectual seed, so to speak, and hope that it germinates into something <laughs> that will survive better in the future. You don't. I know you want that. Sounded like a great conclusion, but I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> it was good, but you don't think it, you don't think this is a barrier to, barrier to entry. What do you mean? Just this. Do you think the belief 
the, the article of faith, articles of faith use the word literal at, at some points, right? The literal gathering of Israel, I think right? One time. Well, but, maybe just one time. Yes. But the point is that we there's these cut and dried statements, right? Do you think these are barriers to entry to the church? No, because um, well, oh, I have a story. Done. I had a okay. story that goes with this. I remember vividly when yes. I was a kid, and there was this friend of the family who got baptized. Yeah, and um, what was discovered in a after a church meeting, sitting in a hallway, shaking her head, and thinking, "I and say, I just didn't know that we didn't believe in evolution." <laughs> oh my gosh! So this was all, this was you know. Were 30, you advanced enough at that time? I was this is probably her? about thirty years ago. I was uh-huh. just a kid, right? Yeah. And um, I, then I heard this story secondhand, right? Uh-huh. And, um, but even recently, this, there has been this idea that we just don't believe in evolution. And so if nothing, if, yeah, I, where I want to end the show is this affirmation, right, that evolution is science. And science is, um, has to be a part of your testimony and yeah. this is part of um, what it means to be a Latter-day Saint, I think, in, in modern times. There's no way around it. it do, yeah. Denying it doesn't make any sense at all. We believe in all truth, yeah. even if we don't understand how the pieces fit together. Again, I go back to this being a basic t- teaching, and why are we even spending time on this show? It's because... I really believe that there are people that need to know. <laughs> well, and I, I believe it is a fundamental command of the faith to explore this stuff and grow in knowledge and understanding. That is what we are supposed to do. It is a slothful servant who just is happy to say evolution isn't real because that's easier. Mm-hmm. That is not Latter-day Saint mm-hmm. living, in my opinion. Um, and... Going back to the Articles of Faith, we yet believe God will yet reveal many great marvelous things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and everything pertains to the kingdom of God, and although Darwin wasn't a prophet, as we would define him, he definitely brought truth to us, and all truth is God's truth. God knows all this stuff. We can't, if we want to be like him, we can't just ignore stuff because it's inconvenient. That's really what our, our guiding philosophy is here, is that we just unceremoniously reject yeah. the idea that you can ignore niggling yeah. doubts. Put your face in the hat. That yeah. doesn't mean hide from the world. That means look for more information. That's right. Yeah. We are a proud member of the Dialogue Network. <laughs> Go and listen to their shows. Yeah, they're probably um, niggling in much more responsible ways. <laughs>